This podcast was produced by Morley Radio. Welcome to Artcast Season 4, Episode 4. Artcast is presented by Matt G, who is the Programme Area Manager of Fine Art at the Chelsea Centre, which is part of Morley College London. The podcast is a series of informal discussions with professional artists and designers, accompanied by students who are studying with us at the Chelsea Centre. You can now listen to the previous three seasons of Artcast on streaming platforms such as Spotify and Apple. Just search Artcast Morley Radio. Here you will find past episodes including Goldie, Jeremy Della, David Shrigley, Susan Collis, Polly Morgan, Martin Parr and Ryan Gander. So today we are joined by Paul Harrison, who is part of the collaborative pair Wood and Harrison. I'm also joined by two of our HNC Fine Art students, Nia Fawcett and Christine Taylor. I was thinking if you could both introduce yourselves and say a little bit about what you're up to at the moment in the studio um, and your background. Hiya, I'm Nia Fawcett and um, I've just started the HNC with Matt and Philippe. Just currently playing around in the studio um, with colour and loads of wonderful things. Um, and I come from a, um, I work in production design and film. So I'm quite familiar to uh, sets and uh, construction and play and everything. Yeah, that's me. Hi, I'm Chrissy, and my original career, or a couple of years ago, I was a food photographer. So again, quite familiar with building the sets and faffing around with the production, etc., etc. And then decided to go and do what I wanted to do when I was 18, which was go to, back to art school, and um, went on a the Fine Art um, Foundation um, at Morley, Waterloo, Absolutely wonderful. Got to the end of that and thought, no, 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 this can't stop. I've, I've only just started. So kindly, um, Matt and Philippe uh, have allowed me to join them on the agency um, for the first year of what I'm hoping will be a, a fine art BA. Great. Thanks, both. So Wood and Harrison are renowned for their video works featuring minimalist performances that delve into themes of tragedy, comedy and irony. Their art is a profound exploration of the physical constraints, scale and movement of the human body in relation to meticulously crafted environments. The artist's work often challenges the boundaries of what the human body can achieve within these spaces. Some of their notable works include 3D Bucket from 2001, Table and Chairs from 2001 and Watering Cans, also from 2001, which is part of an installation called 26, and in brackets, drawing and falling things. This captivating collection was first showcased at the Chisholm Gallery in 2002 in London, and it featured 26 short videos, all lasting under three minutes and played in a continuous loop. Each video is shot from a fixed perspective, creating a square, unchanging space in which the action unfolds, and they feature scenarios where mark-making and gravity are central elements, and the artists themselves often take the role of the sole protagonists. Wood and Harrison regularly have comprehensive booths at the Freeze Art Fair and have works in the Freeze Sculpture Park. Recent exhibitions have been at the ICC in Japan, Icon Gallery in Birmingham, the Museum of Contemporary Art in Houston, the Kunstmuseum at Fun Studio Tresorio in Rome and Naples in 2009, and the Mori Art Museum in Tokyo, and the Tate Britain's Lightbox as part of the Art Now exhibit in London. Great. So, Paul, how's it going? 
How's it going? Uh, good, uh, good stuff. Although that did make it sound as though we only ever made work in 2001 and we <laughs> haven't done anything since. It's not, it's not too far off them. No, no, we've been, we've been busy. It's going really well. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the invitation to chat today. So. Cool. And how was Freeze Art Fair this year? I noticed you had some new sort of works on shirts with shirts coated in enamel paint, which seems, seems to be a bit of a new direction. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's there's lots of um, we like to sort of mix things up a little bit. So, I mean, predominantly, you know, you mentioned that we're kind of best known for video works, and that's kind of pretty much all that we made for the first sort of fifteen years. We work together now just over thirty years, so that huge chunk of time is just spent mainly on video works. Although there were always other things in the studio, you know, that we always painted things, um, constructed things, wrote things down. Um, and then they just came to a point and actually it was around the time that we did the show at Icon Gallery that we thought, well, let's bring some of these things out. So we tentatively brought some sculptures, some text works, some various bits and pieces out of the studio and showed those. And some of them worked, some of them didn't work so well. But since then, we've been developing that work alongside the video work. So, so yeah, when it comes to, when it comes to freeze that we've done with Vera Cortez the last two years, uh, we've shown text works. We did the, the project of the, uh, 10 signs for a park, which is in the, um, free sculpture. And then this, this year, I think it was, I'm going to blame John. John had the idea of, um, making some painted shirts, which, yeah, we thought, we, we, we thought they worked quite well. Uh, we, we decided with the gallery to show one on the wall and the other six on like a, coat hanger mm-hmm. thing um but as we were installing because uh, I, I, I popped down there just to hang out um with the gallery which is always fun they're really nice but also a few years ago in that install day on the monday when no one else can go in uh apart from people that work at the gallery it's really it's really good fun because you see all the kind of the the gubbins behind the scenes how amateurish it is <laughs> until <laughs> until i kind of like polish everything up you know but also one year Posh and Bex came round for a special tour then. So that was very exciting. Uh, but as we were installing and we were putting these shirts on the hanger, I said to Vera, the director of the gallery, I said, you do, not re- you do realize people will touch these? And she was like, no, no, it's art. People will realize they're art. And I was like, okay, but they <laughs> will touch them. Um, and of course, people people touch them. I mean, yeah. quite brutally as well. People That's were like bending the arms, yeah. and I was thinking, oh, what are you testing to make sure that they're not ceramic or something? Because yeah, if they are, you know. And I bet they went nowhere near the the ones that were on the wall. So the ones that were on the wall, they went nowhere yeah. near those. Yeah, you should have put totally one of fine. your signs up. <laughs> Oh, we did actually. There was a Spanish. <laughs> Do not uh, really touch nice... like in the park. <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a really nice Spanish gallery, just kind of like. Um, across the kind of corridor and they brought this sign over in Spanish, which apparently said, do not touch. That's at least that's what I hope it did. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but that didn't really. Um, so in the end, I think Vera just, we, we just, well, she, yeah, she patrolled the shirts uh, to make sure. But actually I, I wasn't, I wasn't overly concerned. Um, uh, and I wouldn't have minded people picking them up by the hangers, you know, to kind of like have a closer look. But I guess that, yeah, I mean, they're, they're incredibly robust. Um, they're painted with enamel paint. Um, but yeah, if, if, if everyone that had gone through freeze had kind of manhandled them, they would have probably looked a bit worse for wear at the end. I really like yeah. the um, the bag paintings as well, or the, the paintings of bags, but there's a real physicality to the, the bags on the surface. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, again, they were, they were enamel. 
um, enamel paint. Uh, yeah, they, they were quite often with a lot of the work. Um, and I kind of when I'm talking to when I'm talking to students, I kind of say, you know, like some some of these works like don't take that long to produce. Maybe maybe the bag paintings took um, I don't know, like three or four months of actually making and drawing and making and drawing and all that kind of stuff. But they started like two or three years ago when we did bag paintings, which were um, just flat uh, flat acrylic paint, and then we resined over the top of them. And then when we got them out, when the resin set, and we put them on the wall, and we got this set of bags, and some of them were striped. We were like, wow, they look great. They kind of float because of the resin. They had this really nice... Um, but then as anyone that has used resin will know that resin, even if it says it doesn't yellow, it mm -hmm. yellows. Yeah. So, um, and they don't, they don't yellow at the same rate across a set of like eight paintings. <laughs> Some of them will go really yellow really quickly and then others will go slightly yellow. So we had to, um, we've actually, I think John did it the other day, gave, we gave them away as presents <laughs> because we couldn't really do anything with them, you know, because they're, we just don't know how yellow they'll get, probably very yellow. So, yeah be part of the art though no? yeah i mean if they're just it's some of them actually look quite nice yellow and it's and it's really only if you put them on a white wall that it really zings out that you just think oh god yeah there's something wrong here you know and we just didn't fancy them going into collections and then two years from now having to fly around and repair them be out of control yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I was going to ask actually, what does happen to all of your stuff? So you know, the, we built a city. Like, if it doesn't continue, you know, getting exhibited around the world, like, does it all just come back to the big garden shed? The storage in the yeah, the storage <laughs> in Bristol. Um, yeah, I mean, we're really we're really lucky in some ways in that we that we have a relatively large studio in, in Bristol, and one of the reasons we can afford a relatively large studio is because it's in Bristol uh, and yeah. not anywhere else. Uh, even though Bristol is getting incredibly expensive, so um, and desirable, so we do we do have storage there, but we also have the four galleries that store work for us, and so there's always like quite a lot of work sort of floating around in other people's storage. The, the city at the moment is in Basel, in Switzerland, okay, and it's it's been it's been in storage for two years in Lisbon. It's been um, storage from Basel before then it went to Copenhagen and then it's gone back to Basel and we're just at the point now where it's a really for those that haven't seen it it's a kind of big architectural model that's on 10 tables which are two meters by one meters um, one meter and it comes in four huge crates so it's an absolute nightmare to store it's also it's one of those things that like when we're not we're not that commercially minded I mean we used to be like we used to have like zero commercial understanding um we've got slightly better with that because we realized that um the more projects that do, you do the the um well basically you have to sustain the practice from a financial point of view yeah, yeah. so we had to kind of find ways of making work that we wanted to make but that was actually kind of could go into collections more easily mm. but this this issue we made before we had this realization that you know this piece would never, would never sell. So we're just at the point now where we're deciding what to do with it. And it might be that we cut it down and save smaller building sections um, and then reshow that as a kind of new work, which is, which is in a way it's kind of interesting. And a lot, a lot of works can change over time, not only just in like how you feel about them or how you combine them with other works, but also the context changes. Um, yeah. So works become reinvented in many ways. We're not overly precious 
with stuff and it's kind of I mean it's unfortunate in one way but it's like practicalities maybe it could be part of a permanent collection or in an art school or something yeah, I mean, if you're interested and you can store it, then you, know, you, can, have it, you can have it on very long loan. But yeah. just to uh, touch upon what you're saying about how you're, you're the, the commercial mindedness, um, just want to say thanks because my, my brother actually runs a artist-run space and they started it last year and they did a, an artist fundraiser and it was actually yourselves that donated a work for that. So, so just thanks for that because the idea was they wanted to raise enough money so that them themselves could pay artists. So artists would show with them and they would get a, an actual proper wage. Um, so yeah, I just thought I'd use that as an opportunity to say thanks for that uh, on behalf of, I, I don't know if you remember, it's called Piccalilli Gallery. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, that was really generous of you. We, um, we always... We suckers for a nice email. <laughs> Anyone writes a nice email, it's like, yeah, 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 no, we'll, we'll do that. But it's really, uh, you know, those kind of things. Uh, I think we've always been aware of it, but the further away you get from when you've graduated, I think the more you become aware of how difficult it is to sustain a career over a long period of time and how important that first bit is where you, where you sort of drop out of, I don't mean drop out, I mean you, you sort of come out of school, art school, and it's desperately... It's kind of fantastically exciting and really good fun, but it's also really scary. And it's we've we've talked about this quite a lot recently, and that we just think that it's so much more difficult for students graduating now than it was when we graduated in 1990. I mean, it's different. There were there were problems then. It wasn't easy, but I think it's just way way more difficult. And we we were just talking the other day, trying to remember how much our accommodation was in in the halls at art college. And we remembered that it was two hundred and fifty pound a term. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's not like you know. I mean, I know it's a long time ago, um, but it's not relative to now. Do you know what I mean? It's not kind of. I mean, it was very cheap then. E- you know, even then, that was like ridiculously cheap. And probably you got a grant as well, didn't you? Yeah. Almost. Right, yeah. You were just borderline I'm, I'm grant. Well, you're. I think you're a bit older than me. I think you were just borderline grant. I was. Um, I was straight after. I was a student there. Are you a straight? Yeah, I think I was the last. Uh, maybe it was me or the or John's year, or maybe when I was a third year, the first year, or on the last run through of complete kind of um, grant. So yeah, I got a full grant of like three grand. I mean, I still came out with a debt, but it was tiny relative to anything you know anything that that comes out now. Yeah. I mean, there's there's different things. We you know we did the first sort of ten years after we graduated of sort of working together um where we we just you know it was it was really tough and we didn't earn any money and I mean we 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 did shows and we did screenings and things like that but it was like um few and far between but we had we had that sort of 10 years of time to develop the work there was very little pressure on us because in a way there was very little opportunity you know so uh whereas now I think it's very different there's a there's a real pressure to su- succeed really quickly, e- even before you've graduated, I think. And we, w- we were just not under that. And we were given this, we weren't given this time, but it was just this, um, we just had this time where there wasn't this pressure. And I, I just don't, I don't know whether students graduating now would be, would, would get that same amount of time in quite the same way. But then again, you know, on the other side of it, there's more opportunity now, there's more institutions, there's more, you know, there are more commercial galleries. Uh, there's just more of it, you know. Um, so it's in, in some ways it's better. And when we graduated, uh, you know, there were like five commercial galleries in Cork Street and that was it. 
and it's an exaggeration, but it, was, it felt like that. And it felt like you had to at least be 50 before <laughs> anyone would take an interest, you know. So it's it's sort of pros and cons, but um, I do recognise that the, um, yeah, that graduating now is, is like super, is super tough. And you've got four galleries representing you, have you, did you say? Uh, yeah, we've we've had more. Oh, four <laughs> sounds like a lot. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, we had we had a couple, we had a couple that closed, N- not oh. not due to us. <laughs> we think, we hope, um, because over that sort of, I think we first the first gallery we had was around um, it was the early two thousands, and it was in Berlin, and it was a great gallery, and the guy that ran it was fantastic, and he really looked after us, put us up in this bizarre kind of penthouse suite thing in a hotel around the corner it was amazing we had like a city we had a viewing tower of the city of berlin it was amazing he must have got a special deal and he was great and the show was brilliant um and he was really interested in the work we had great conversations but he was just useless at at (laughs) the business end of it so he closed after a couple of years which was a real shame but then you know galleries closed and they're open and they're closing you know and, and what's happening now i think is um is is kind of interesting and and sort of unfortunate that a lot of the um, smaller and kind of mid-sized galleries are closing down because um, the big kind of uber galleries are kind of taking up a bit of that space and you know I mean there are, there are, again there are pros and cons with that but it just it just sort of changes you know it changes and over a period of time you, if you work with galleries then some of them will close and some of them I, I don't think we've been asked to leave. Touchwood, no, we haven't. We've not been asked to leave. You've not been we sacked. probably should at some points have been asked to leave, but um, still time. Been, there's still time. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> and how does that relationship start then with a the gallery, or does it depend? Do they come to you? I mean, or do you? It's a really good question. I mean, it's a question that we're not experts on that side of things at all, and it's one of the most difficult things to. Um, I mean, when we had our first meeting with our first gallery in London. Which felt like our prop, our first proper gallery that we were working with. I actually met them at Chisenhall opening, and we just had a little chat. I didn't really know what they were doing, but they, you know, so you know, let's keep in touch. And then they called us in for a meeting, and we were just sort of chatting, and we got no idea what was going on. And we all had before on the train and the way into London, and we were like, "Do you think they're going to ask to represent us?" I was like, I don't know. And we were just having this like very long conversation. It felt like it was winding down. It felt very positive. But I was there sitting there thinking, if we don't ask, they're just not going to say. So I just said, so what, you know, do you want to represent us? And they said, oh, yeah, of course. This is what this meeting is about. So it's this slight sort of dance of like, you don't want to appear too keen. Yeah. You know, you don't want to ask like the direct question, even though we were forced to doing it. But I think more generally, it's, um, yeah, you can't really approach commercial galleries directly. I mean, I've heard stories of it working. And obviously, if you're, if you're mega famous, <laughs> and your work sells for a lot of money, then, yeah, of course, you can just ring around. But normally, a direct approach... I mean, it's the same. It goes for institutional shows and stuff like that. Direct approaches where you just send stuff in doesn't doesn't really work. So you have to... Put some signs be, outside their door or something, just subtle Yeah, just... With your name on or something. <laughs> We'd like to be represented yeah. by you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, please. Hello. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, we just made the decision that... that um, you know, and particularly again, because we're not, we've never been, I've lived in London, but we've not been based in London, that we we haven't got that kind of, the opportunity to meet people that's on our doorstep. So we just thought, okay, we're going to have to travel a lot. So um, so we both, I mean, particularly, particularly me, do a lot of like traveling around Europe. So whenever there's a show, 
and there's a possibility to go, we make sure that we go and then you meet people and then they meet other people, you know. So it kind of builds up and it can be incredibly slow. If you're having a show, you would, I mean, I guess you would invite them, like you'd just say, you know, love you to come along. No, not even that. No. We wouldn't, we wouldn't, no, it wouldn't be that direct. We'd just go to like the person, the director of the space or whatever, if it was a non, you know, a non-commercial space, you'd just go, right, is there anyone that you think that's interesting that we should possibly meet? Okay. Um, such, you know, as. Then, <laughs> such as. Such as this person. But again, I'm, I mean, there's all sorts of factors and considerations. It's like, it's not just about what kind of work they might show or what artists they're working with. You might, you know, kind of mm-hmm. like to work alongside but it's also the kind of the tone of the gallery and how well you fit in personality wise so we work with galleries that are kind of you know kind of mid mid-sized galleries but that we speak directly to the director more often than not so we do have an artist liaison with with some of the galleries but um more often than not if it's like we've gone for dinner with the gallery we're going for dinner with the director so it's a it's quite a personal thing and then you build up that relationship over a long period of time and that can cause problems when it comes to talking about dirty words like money, money and stuff <laughs> like that but but generally it kind of like you know you, you get to know their families and their families grow up with your you know you, you know it's kind of like you meet them repeatedly so you build up this thing which is kind of you know it's kind of um yeah it's kind of rewarding you know it's kind of really nice to have those kind of relationships going on because that the becomes a little gang of you then that you're you're working together and um as the art world can be, I mean, it's brilliant being an artist. It is amazing. Um, but the art world can be incredibly brutal mm. when, you, when you're out there. So it's good to have a little gang around you yeah. to sort of protect you. Although sometimes it's the galleries that are brutal with you. So, you know, you know what I mean? You know? I suppose if you've got a gallery, though, you'd have a contract pretty quick to, like, work out the oh, shares uh, in art. No. Or, or is, that, is that the sneaky way they sort of take you out and you become part of the family and then you can't complain? It's extremely rare that there's ever a contract between artists and oh. commercial gallery. Yeah, I know it's a shocking thing, isn't it? It's like um, it's all done on trust, and we've never signed one with a gallery. So yeah, it's all done on that kind of you trust them, they trust you. What about so. the the, the multi gallery thing? So you said that you've got four. Are they in different countries? You know, different different things altogether. I mean, you, yeah, can, I mean, have, not- you can have four in Liverpool, say. Well, they, they um, again, and I'm no expert, so this could all be uh, crap that I'm talking here, but this is just like experience. I mean, nobody tells you these things. No, you know, no, no, one, no one, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no, no one says, okay, this is, this is kind of how it works. So you sort of stumble through and you make mistakes. So I, I always try and, whilst not trying to scare students if I'm working with them, it's good to give them a heads up on how some of the things work. Yeah. You know, d- different artists will have different experiences. Loads of artists are really successful that work without commercial galleries, you know. So there are there are many models, mm. but the one that we the one that we work with is is quite a common it's quite a common thing. So we have one in we have a gallery in New York, one in Basel, one in Naples, <laughs> and one in Lisbon, and they sort of have territories, you know. So like we wouldn't have another gallery in Lisbon, you know, in Porto, for instance. So we wouldn't yeah. have another gallery in Rome or. Or whatever, but we could possibly have another gallery in LA. Mm. Yeah. So, sorry, Kristen Tini, Gallery in New York, but I believe that that's the case. You know, so there are certain there are there are kind of certain um, yeah certain exceptions to that. Or if you're like mega mega mega, then you can have like you know eight galleries in London. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you know. So, so it, it does it does it, it it 
you know, it's all about um, mm. what scale you're working in in terms of like how much you can, uh, how much the work sells for and things like that. Yeah. Great. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about the sort of unpredictability of working in public commissions in terms of logistics, fabrication and planning. I'm thinking of some of your works that you've had in, let's say, Free Sculpture Park. And also there was a facade commission in, in Hanover with uh, some neon lettering saying words on the front of a building. Um, and also yeah. the the piece at Times Square, New York, which I particularly find incredibly appealing. I think it's also because I've watched um, the TV series Severance recently. But this piece whereby you're commenting on sort of office politics and how we sort of present ourselves by the water cooler and this, this absurdity of office spaces uh, in this particular this, this pan- it, it, the video is on their website so it, it's this sort of the panning of different <coughs> office spaces um, but I was wondering if you could say a bit more about that piece actually and the sort mm. of the, the creative process within it and um, yeah sort of any limitations or challenges you faced with planning public's work like that but I think the Times Square project was a really was a really nice project, um, and it was it's it's sort of um, you you have to apply, and so the gallery applied on our behalf, and it was sort of during COVID that that it's kind of happened. So the whole project was really up in the air. They didn't know when it was going to run and what was going to happen and stuff like that. So we we had a we had an idea that it was you know it was it was successful a bit. They were gonna they were gonna do it, but we didn't know exactly when. Uh, so we had this period where they were kind of like, okay, what do you want to show? And because COVID, we couldn't actually make a new video work. So what we did is we took two existing video works, 10 by 10 and tall buildings, which in themselves, they were both filmed on the same set. We made 10 by 10, which is kind of bright and colorful. And, mm. um, I'm in a Spider-Man outfit and, you know, there's lots of, there's lots of things coming in and, and we'd made it. And then John was like, should we, should we just make the anti version of that? So we make one that's like, super dry and dull and black and white and all that so we so we did that and then when this opportunity came up to show work we just thought okay well, we'll combine the two so we made this edit of this um of this sort of new work and then we, we sent it off and then we had the kind of you know it's the interesting thing about working publicly that they they said that we couldn't use the spider-man sequence because of copyright um we couldn't have anything in it where i appeared like i was possibly dead Weren't you tied to a chair in one of them? Yeah, so yeah, they didn't, that's they didn't right. Like yeah. that, did they? What's the, sorry, that's interesting because like the the Halloween costume thing that's happening with the the Hollywood strikes at the moment. That's what sort of I'm thinking about now. But um, what what was the not appearing dead? What was controversial about that? Because it looked like it was dead. I don't know, like dead in an office and New right. York and or tied up hostage. Oh, okay, okay. You know, so I, I think it was like a kind of because at first we heard we were like what. And then we thought, well, no, actually, I guess there's mm. a lot of people, even though it runs at like, you know, three minutes to midnight until midnight in January, you know, a lot of people see it. Um, yeah. And I guess it's just the context, a- isn't it? Because mm. people, uh, I, I, in fact, probably the majority of people won't realise it's a, a work of contemporary art, will they? Because I, I, no. I think it's an advert. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, the whole, the, I mean, we, again, we couldn't go because it was COVID. So, um, it was that point where it was like, yes, it's COVID. No, it's not. Yes, it is. You know, you know, you can travel. You can't. So we didn't go in the end and we didn't see it. But yeah, that was one of the peculiarities with that. And we're doing a project next year in LA with a, uh, it's slightly different, but again, and big public screen. So I think we'll face the same 
problems. You know, I mean, I suppose if you're out in the public, then, you know, there's a lot of different people that are going to see it and there's potential there for people to be, uh, you know, to complain or to, you know. So no, spi- no Spider-Man outfits then? No Spider-Man outfits. I mean, that was just, we'd write to pay. Um, I mean, I looked, so, I mean, there was no way you would mistake me as Spider-Man. You, know, <laughs> you were hoovering exactly also, not. so, was, you know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, which is not often in the movies. But uh, I mean, in terms of in terms of freeze, I mean, it's interesting because it became something that, again, it's one of the things that we never really thought about, you know, when we first started working was like, we never thought about performing live. We didn't really think about doing things outside. But just as we were going along, the opportunities came up for these things. And I think because we got more experience and we'd done a wide range of things, it just felt as though we could take these things on and, and have a go. So Freeze was Freeze was really fun. And of course, loads, loads and loads of people see it. But, you know, the the health and safety conversations that we were having with with Freeze and with the company that installs the work, you know, there were there were conversations about them having to have fences around them and, and stuff like that, you know. And it's kind of I suppose when you work in, in the public realm like that, you can't not work with that you know so you have to take that on board that has to become embedded in the work so we did think about the kind of stability and the kind of like the robustness of the of the product but you know we were actually using things which actually do go in parks you know (laughs) but even though it was like because it's art then it's like an extra thing yeah but it's it's interesting we did we did the same project so we took the same work just a different copy of the work to germany uh, in hanover where we also did the sign on the front of the building, the neon text, and we showed the signs there. But we showed it in um in an old graveyard, um like a very old graveyard, and it took it took a very long time for the institution, Kessner Gesellschaft, to get the permission from the city to actually excavate, uh, to dig down, because we obviously might hit a skull or a bone <laughs> or something like that. But they, they said it was okay, and and we installed that in a couple of days with um, a couple of hand power drills and uh, very long screws. Mm-hmm. So it was completely the opposite end to, to how freezers installed. It was just like pretty much like wind these things in, slot the poles down. That'll do. It'll be all right. So health and safety didn't play such a big a big part there. And actually, because it was shown in a in a kind of it's far enough away from the institution for it not to be attached to the institution, so it didn't read as art so clearly as it did in free sculpture mm. so it just worked in a really different different interesting way and whereas in free sculpture two of the signs signs were stolen um oh, wow. <laughs> what from the park uh, yeah they were kind of ripped off which uh, ones ripped oh my lord I don't know. I can't remember which well, ones it was. Just in case we see them around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep an um, eye out, eBay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so they were kind of a bit tough. And I turned up. This was actually during freeze week because I don't. I shouldn't really say that they only have security during the week, or is it security it's okay. during the we weekend? Won't tell anyway, anyone. There's, oh, uh, there's nice, huge, nice save there. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure all the, uh, uh, I don't, I don't know when it is that they've not got security. I'm not <laughs> going to tell you. But um, I turned up, and one of the poles was. It was just a pole. It was stuck, and. There were lots of security around it because it was during the fair and there were kind of assistants and they were like, oh, we're really sorry. You know, we're really sorry. So we like, I was like, well, um, yeah. Just you know, phone no, board it, innit? Yeah, it's kind of like, well, you put something out in the public, someone is going to do something to it. Yeah. I was just surprised that they all weren't, you know, taken away. And it's kind of, yeah, I think it's just kind of, it becomes part of the work. Mm. And, I, and someone very sweet was like saying, you must be devastated the work. So I'm like, well, it's aluminium, it's powder coated, we put some vinyl on it. It's like, it, you know, we 
could just make it, it again. again. You know? yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a, a guy I know who also had a sculpture and it was 45 feet. It was the Zach Ove, the largest, largest sculpture they've ever had. And it got spray canned, like... It's worth tons of money, and um, it just got spray canned all over up to, like, head height. Like, why would you do that? Yeah. Uh, I know, it's kind, of, it's kind of, I think that, I think with a project for, for free sculpture where we came up with the signs is that we wanted something that you would already see in a park. Do you know what I mean? We wanted something, yeah. like, so site-specific. I mean, a lot, you know, I think free sculpture is great. It's always really fun. It's free. You potter around. Yeah. If the weather's nice, it's a nice autumnal day. You get a coffee and you wander around. It's, it's a really beautiful way of like seeing yeah. like a lot of work. And because freeze is so expensive now, it's like something everyone can access. I really wonder yeah. though, if it, the person that stole it was it was it an, was it someone who was really into your work or an art enthusiast, or was it somebody who was having a sort of drunken on the way gathering sort? You know, people sort of gather stuff on the way home from a night out. I wonder wonder who it was i think it might have been someone well, that just went that is such a brilliant sign i yeah. really want that like right. you know stealing the bollard from around yeah, there that's, you that's know? what i mean it's like yeah. that's such a cool sign yeah. i just want that on my wall like you know yeah. i mean yeah. in fact frankly i'm sure i don't know why i didn't think of it earlier <laughs> well there you go now so you can do it next time we show it in lisbon uh, next year you can travel out there no i mean it's really interesting as i was saying earlier about how kind of work can change particularly in the public realm when you're showing it in different spaces we also installed it in the summer in a in a private collector's house in in Leicestershire, which was a completely different experience in terms of installing, and there is no way anyone will touch. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's like we weren't happy that the work had been like kind of vandalised or stolen at freeze, but it's just like in a way, it's kind of like it worked. The work worked because we didn't want it to look like art, or we wanted to we wanted to hover between the two things yeah. of like looking like something that you would normally find there. But it's slightly different. So in a way, it kind of for us, we weren't we weren't overly concerned. Yeah. But in Germany, nobody touched it. Yeah, they were of there course. for like of course. three months. Yeah. yeah, it does say quite a lot about London, to be fair. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of part and parcel, isn't it? Because David Trigley was saying that he had his his feel good uh, thumbs up on the the fourth plinth, and then that was uh, became the English Defence League's kind of team photo because <laughs> they stood in front of it. So it's, it's that yeah. kind of vulnerability that you have to give the artwork, I guess. It's, it is an interesting thing because I think with all work, when it goes out, you know, I mean, you, you can't, when you carry on and you've been going for a while and you do more and more shows, more and more things happen, that you can't possibly be at every show. You know, it's it it just doesn't logistically it just doesn't work out. Um, so you have to let go of some of the control and put trust in in others. And then when you put work out into the public realm, realm, you you really do like, I mean, you literally have to let go of it. There's no way it can be you know completely secured or protected. So it's op- open to the elements and it's open to say bye bye. Yeah, it's open to all sorts of different responses. So I mean, it's kind of I think you have to lose a little bit of that ownership of the work or the preciousness about the work and just accept that certain things will happen in you know, and you, you can maybe try to find ways around you know to limit the kind of negative things that could be done with the work but there's just there's just no way of knowing you know can i change tack completely yeah like, yeah um yeah. i just wondered do you think you'd both um you'd have such long illustrious careers if you'd worked as individuals as opposed to a pair 
Oh, mine would have been much more illustrious. You know, you, you know, yeah, I kind of thought you can say that because he's not here. Because <laughs> he's not here. No, it's, what we, it's, it's like when we do talks um, and sometimes we do them together and it's really fun, but quite often we just do them on, on, on our own. And uh, the, the question is who has the ideas and it's always the person that's doing the talk. Right. Know, that's, that's whoever, you know. Um, I think we would have both worked because we both have that kind of mindset. I think we've made our decision early on, even when we were at art school, that that's what we were going to do. You know, we were going to be, yeah. this is what we're going to do for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, I think that the way that we met just after art school and the circumstances that we met under and how that kind of, it wasn't, it wasn't, super quick it wasn't like a couple of days and we were like yes let's do this it did take about a year a year and a half for us to come to the decision that we we're going to work together did i hear that you've still not had the conversation about are you actually going to work together was that yeah we're, we're still not still had the decided no. <laughs> no john john's asked me several times but i've just declined to, uh, i'm Can't. thinking about no no i think i think what it did do though is it kind of it helped a great deal in the in that early part because we were each other's support mechanism you know it's like and you always had someone to talk to and this is still a case that's as interested and as involved as you are in the work yeah and you know that your your life partners will only stand so much i mean my my life partner is a museum director and she gives me about 30 seconds before she puts (laughs) me down so we did this and she's like let me stop you there uh, um, <laughs> but with John, I just noticed I called him today and I noticed on our phones, I called him or we called each other four times on Sunday to sort stuff out, you know. So there's always this kind of thing. It makes it a lot more fun. When you can travel together, it's a lot more fun. Uh, you can share the awkward moments at openings and all of those kind of things and dinners and things like that. You can rescue the other one or you can deliberately leave them, <laughs> uh, you know, in a, in a tricky spot or whatever. So, so I think that, um, okay, you have to split everything 50-50, obviously. So that makes it slightly more difficult in terms of managing, managing the, mm. the economics of two yeah. people having to survive rather than just one. But I think I think the fun element of it and the enjoyment of it, which is one thing that I would stress to students as well, is try to find a way of, you know, it's difficult, it's challenging, it's all of those kind of things. But in the end, you should enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, you should try yeah. and enjoy it. And I think that you know we have a we have a great time. We who, have a really great time. And who who would you say sustained the most injuries over the years? Because there's been throwing chairs on the end of ropes. There's been hanging off the end of step ladders. There's been. In being in both of you in the back of a van of as a well, van. which is well, great. Just, yeah. John, you know, as John isn't here, um, <laughs> I'll say John. Yeah, no, John. He's. Um, it's inter- It's interesting because we started off when we first started off performing and making the video works. You know, there was this. We wanted to be these. We've said it quite a lot before. We wanted to be these generic humans, but because John's a bit shorter than me, and he has these kind of big open eyes, uh, when we showed some work in Germany. It's quite a long time ago. They said, they said, you know, I won't do the accent. Um, but they said, you know, you, John, you look so pathetic. And they meant it in a, in a kind of nice way. Do you know what I mean? He was like, so we kind of got this feeling that I was, you know, people are going to read it like I was the evil one. And I was like <laughs> taking it out of John. And so, so we kind of began to play with that. And also, and this is an honest truth as well, and it sounds too convenient, but because John was, was still is smaller. Sorry, John. Um, when we were building things, we could build them so much smaller. So they were so cheap. They were so much cheaper <laughs> to build them that size. Um, 
but and also John was just a much better performer than me. He was kind of just naturally a better performer. And I found it much more difficult. So he went in a lot of them. Um, and he, yeah, he did get injured. A, you know, he, he did get injured a few times. None of it was particularly dangerous in a way. Maybe, maybe the help? van one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe the van one. The van one took us by surprise because we weren't, we weren't imagining <laughs> you it. You weren't expecting that. Yeah. What, what's your health and safety procedure? Does it, <laughs> Does like it exist? You? I mean, I work on film sets, so none of that stuff yeah. would be able to do. Like, no, I mean, our, our safety procedures, were, it's better now, but it used to be in the, in the 90s and into the mid-2000s. It was like the 1970s. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you could use matchsticks to... At to, your own risk. But, uh, you know. Yeah, that's so it was, charge, it was, yeah. yeah, it was disastrous. So, <laughs> in my, yeah, looking back now, we shouldn't have done some of the things, but there was nothing, you know, there was nothing. We weren't shooting each other. You know, but there's there's that, a, with the van's piece in particular, where you're driving around Bristol, it really does create the illusion that you're in a, in a studio space. Mm. Um, and it's... I'm just fascinated with this lo-fi aesthetic that's so precise. And I, do you ever use green screen or even CGI or is it always purely analog? It's funny because we've had people come up to us and say, and this was like not now, this is this like not, you know, in the 2020s, this was like in the early 2000s. So, but then they come up in private views and go, you use CGI for that. And we were like, no, we didn't. I didn't like you did and we're like we we don't even know like how to use that that stuff um now we're a little bit more savvy now that kind of stuff has become much more you know in-house I mean I I remember when we did the Chisholm show you mentioned earlier on that all of all the works were shown on VHS tape so we had to loop up the works for hour-long VHS tapes and then we delivered the work and because it was running for two or three months we had to have like a new tape every two days. So we had like boxes and boxes of duplicates of these tapes. And before we were doing it, we just checked how much it would be, it would have been to author a DVD and it would have been 10 grand Wow! for one DVD at that time. It was so, because it was just coming in the kind of, yeah, the kind of possibility of having work transferred onto DVD and having it managed. It was right early on. And it's, a, it's, it's phenomenal how technology has changed. And what you can do. So we could use we could use green screen, and we've had ideas around, um, and we've actually tried out a couple of things with green screen. So I think we will use it, but no. we'll use it. In a, we'll <laughs> use it in a way that it is extremely obvious that it's green screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. So like just leave yeah. the green screen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we got we got this. Uh, so we in Bristol. Uh, next door is Ardman Animations. Mm-hmm. So they come and do all our lighting and. They're really great. They, they loan all sorts of stuff. And yeah, we've just got a ton of kit from them that they just store in our space and we just use it. And they said, they gave us a call one day and just said, yeah, we've got this slow-mo camera. Uh, do you want to do you want to use it? So we borrowed it for three or four days. And we, we knew we were going to do it and we thought, okay, we're going to make some slow-mo films. And we were like, right, okay, we're definitely not going to do the bullet through the apple or the <laughs> balloon. You know, we're going to make these films, which like are the dullest um, <laughs> possible slow-mo films. And I think that's the way that we would incorporate things like CGI or green screen. It's like we would use them in a way that um, kind of interests us in a way. Yeah, well, you've got quite big setups. You've got a crew and everything. It can't just be the two of you. No, it's pretty, we just filmed this in the summer. We filmed a work called The Magicians, which was 
Uh, again, Ardman came in and lit it, but I mean, because they're so good, it takes about 45 minutes. And they go, yeah, is that all right? And we go, yeah, no, it's great. And then it's just me and it's just me and John. This this time we had, um, uh, so the work is like a, a, a simple stage set. It's kind of red curtain drapes, kind of spotlit. Uh, we're in incredibly inexpensive Amazon purchased um, uh, magician's outfits, which were <laughs> Uh, 120% nylon. There was so <laughs> nylon, it was really unpleasant. It was quite warm. But the the mechanics of the, the, the structure of the video is basically the two of us on stage and this silver curtain comes down and covers me and then something happens and then it goes up. So we had to have someone to kind of raise and lower the curtain and operate certain things like vacuum cleaners and things that were doing various things. So we had our assistant, Alice, who's one of John's ex-students who, who um, has been working with us uh, on and off for the past like two or three years hmm. but then it's generally it's just it, it is just me and John we had a we've only had a crew once and that was in 1996 for a device which was shot for BBC even um, for constructing the sets and everything or the boxes is that the two of you do you not have construction yeah, or yeah I mean back in the you know when we first started out there was like no we couldn't afford anybody else and no one else was interested and when people are interested and they come along it they're interested for like 20 minutes and then they're not interested because it's really <laughs> dull it's really boring so um yeah we, and this was before we had like power screwdrivers so we were screwing things together i mean it's like back in the day we had electric light we did have electric light um but yeah all of that stuff was um and it's part it's partly because we can we can tweak things last minute you know if we were having them manufactured outside and then we were bringing them in so there's there is a certain thing about about working with them and then working things out while you're working with them. Mm. So we 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 just last week we did some text paintings which we showed some at, at Freeze this year and last year as well. And we're making some for Art Geneva in January, and we could get stencils cut for sheets, but instead we use individual plastic letters which we then tape together and make these phrases. And we were thinking well, we could get this, but but actually, it's like mm. we can change the text right up to the last minute. Yeah. You know, so you have an element of, of control. I mean, you know, as much stuff as we can farm out, like we don't make the neons ourselves, obviously, because <laughs> uh, they'd be really wobbly. They'd be really bad. But, um, yeah, so we, we've got, a, I think we've got a better balance now. Like some of the stuff that we do, like the signs, we had those made industrially. But there's a balance between that and then the stuff that we actually do by hand in that's, the studio. That's nice. That's kind of like the letterpress printmaking technique where you start getting to the individual letters and then you painstakingly move them with little metal slats to kind of create different sized spaces. It's, it's great. We were, we were taught that in art school. Mm. In, in When we did our like round robin of doing everything, we did yeah. letter letter setting type setting yeah and it's fantastic so yeah it's it's not it's no more advanced than that i mean it's (laughs) it's pretty it's pretty basic and wobbly you've been compared i think it's on the tate website or something um to the arts equivalent of um laurel and hardy i mean actually to make people laugh is quite quite hard so you know how how do you feel about the laurel and hardy label or was that just kind of like early on um i think it's probably like obviously most obviously, it's, a, it, it's there's a connection between the early video works and that kind of slapstick and and mm. and uh, musical and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I, I I mean, it's it's high praise indeed. I love Lauren Hardy, and I grew up watching 
Lauren Hardy on TV. And it's one of the things that it's that kind of where, where, where influences come from. It's quite often more subtle than, than people imagine. It's not like, you know, it's, it's, so it's, when I was growing up, I saw, I watched Lauren Hardy a lot and, you know, and then when VHS type came in and we could record it and then you could watch little bits. So you could watch like the bits where they substituted a dummy in for something or something really mm. stupid, or there was a double take or things like that. So I absolutely, you know, absolutely love them and they're brilliant. And, you know, um, and the, the, the stuff is still brilliant now. Um, so a compliment. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's a great compliment. But people say, no, it must have been, you must have been watching, you know, you must have been hugely influenced by Keaton. Mm. And it's like, well, maybe later on, you know, but actually we didn't have access to Keaton. We had access to Lauren Hardy because that mm. what was on television. And because, yeah, I've, I mean, I'd be interested. I don't know which one. I've never been able to work out which one is Stan and which one is Ollie out of the two of us. I really don't know. It's a tricky question. Mm -hmm. Dad, please don't answer. <laughs> I won't um, say that <laughs> but, but no, I mean, the, the laughter thing, I mean, we're always a bit cagey with it because we think it's a huge, it relies on context. Yeah. You know, we think if you put the work on mainstream TV on a Saturday night or something, um, it would just be like, you, 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 no, you know, <laughs> this is like not funny. But you put it in a museum or gallery or experimental yeah. film, it's kind of like it, it uses the context to allow those kind of things to happen. And the majority of the things, um, that we've made are kind of not funny and quite dry, but you know, there are, there are elements where we've, you know, it was a surprise at first when people started laughing, it was quite a pleasant surprise. Then we made more work and it still happened. And then I think now we can kind of use that as a possible element. And I think the great thing about it is it relaxes people and it, it sort of allows a, a broad audience a way into the work, mm. you know, so that then, then the other things that are there, can start to kind of like operate and people can kind of think, oh, maybe there's, there's something else beyond that. But if people kind of see it and they laugh as a response and they don't see any more than that, then I think it's kind of, I think there's something fine with that, especially if you're talking about things that's, um, you know, in public or a non, mm. non art audience. I mean, the stuff is, there's quite a lot of, of the earlier video works on TikTok, which we didn't know. We had one of John's students actually said, is this you? You know, and showed us this and he was like, God, yeah, you know, it is. And it's, it's really fascinating for us because we had a couple of people contacted us and saying, you know, we could get this taken down. And we're like, no, actually, there's something quite, this is, that is a, that is an audience, which is like nothing to, you know, it's, it's you didn't do not that, us. Yeah. It's, it's like a, it's like a completely wild audience. that's all over the place. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's get, it gets, you know, like the tens of millions of views and stuff like that. So it's like a completely different thing. I mean, actually one of the guys that, that did, kind of like rip the work from somewhere off the off the web and then remixed it to music and put it on contacted us like messaged us and said you know really you know i want to say that if fan of the work um blah blah, blah and i've done this and, what, and we messaged him back saying you know um hi yeah you know it's fine or whatever and then so we had a little conversation and we got to the point where he just said yeah so if you want to pay me a fee i'll count <laughs> and, and we were like at first we were like what God. and then and then I suppose it kind of struck us that it was like, I mean, we don't know how old he is, but maybe, you know, yeah. maybe he's like 18, 19. Mm -hmm. He's just a different generation mm -hmm. to us. And mm -hmm. it, it has a different understanding of what work is and ownership of work and mm -hmm. how you can re-edit and remix. So at first we were a bit like, what? But then we kind of thought, well, actually, no, you, you just think differently, yeah. completely differently about, 
work and where it comes from and stuff. I mean, obviously, we didn't mm. pay him anything. <laughs> um, we stopped talking to him, but he uh, <laughs> can carry on. He can carry on with our, with our oh. blessing. Now, we quite, we quite like the way that it's, again, it's that thing about losing a bit of control of the work mm. and letting it go out there and have its own life. Yeah. Because particularly like, um, particularly with video, it's easier now, I think, but at, back in the day when we were sending out VHS types of film festivals or, you know, that kind of thing, those types are still around somewhere and someone's digitized them and they've kept them in archives. And it's, you know, it's one of the kind of, one of the interesting things about when video first started was that distribution of things and there was open access and it was like, you know, it, 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 it goes beyond. And, and, you know, we produced, we produced two DVDs. I mean, DVDs for those of younger members of the audience uh, <laughs> where these are metal discs, um, not metal, plastic discs, you know, with, where we put a lot of work on and some, some people, some collectors have said, well, you know, you, like you, sh you, you could buy the work as an addition or you could buy the work for £20 and you get all of this kind of mm. stuff on them. So it's just, it's a different audience. Yeah. You can't, you don't own the work if you're on the DVD. But, you know, we were really keen that should anyone want to own a bit of the work or a copy of the work, that they could for 20 quid and that students could see it. Because I know, you know, when we were at college, it was quite difficult to get access to artist video. It's much easier now. Yeah. But, you know, we quite like the idea that that anybody really could have it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's interesting that idea of distribution. So obviously, like during the pandemic, there was a big boom in the making of NFTs, and there was a lot of kind of people trying to make a very quick buck. I guess trying to make a quick money not really using their medium didn't necessarily suit NFTs. But I remember Marina Abramovich talking about how it was something that performance artists could have benefited from in a way in terms of distributing and making money from their performance work in terms of minting video. Or, yeah, I mean, I don't actually know much about the terminology of NFTs, but in terms of like additioning performance work I guess and um, yeah I mean obviously the NFT boom sort of died down now and it's settled down um, but I was wondering was that anything that you and um, John were interested in being involved with at any point? We did make an NFT a mm. thing because it came you know like it was sort of around the sort of early COVID -y bit or mm. maybe before I, I don't know but and everybody was understandably asking for content for mm. web projects and stuff and so video is really you know really good as a result now no one wants to watch a video work ever again because <laughs> people are fed up with it and the nft we were invited to do on we'd have never gone out and and searched and thought we'll do it but some company contacted the gallery and said hey, we're going to do these nfts Are you interested so they contacted us because they know we quite like to work on little little projects so we generated a it's still available uh, we generated a um, a meter of nothing, so a digital meter of nothing. We thought that's <laughs> yeah, have a go at selling that. Uh, so we we were kind of like a bit like a bit like we do with the neons. Like the first neons we made was a not a joke. We were taking it seriously, but we were like, should we should we try a neon? You know, because we haven't made one. So the first one was just some words on a wall. So it was like playing around with that kind of how neons quite often are used and some of these work really beautifully and they're really well but they're quite kind of you know big statements about the world and life and all of those kind of things and we thought well let's like take everything out 
of that power that a neon has and just have something really dull, mundane, but actually still kind of beautiful because neons are just inherently beautiful. People love staring at them. You know, I love staring at them. Everybody does. But yeah, so with the NFT, when it came up, we just thought, right, okay, let's do something which is actually somehow works with that kind of ridiculousness of that mm. of that kind of format, you know. But also, it's you know, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate in a way because it's quite an interesting thing. It's quite an interesting idea, but it was just like hyped up so much and then there was so much produced and it was like everybody yeah. was doing them that it just sucked the, the potential and life out of them, I think. Yeah. We've got a neon here, actually. There we go. Yeah, we were just... Oh, very uh, nice. Yeah, we've got one in our reception here oh, as well. Two-colour neon. Yeah. yeah. That's brilliant. If you want another one, Matt, there's a 14-metre-long one, I know, that's in Germany and it's heading down <laughs> to Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> to to storage. What about that? Do you fancy a big storage, neon? yeah. We've talked about another neon. Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely, definitely have it. What's your, uh, in order of preference, just to change your tune again, um, is it conceptualising, building or performing? Like any, any one part that you like, get more excited about than the other? I think the reason why we stopped, well, no, actually, it's, it's interesting. Even when we were just making video, we were making videos with multi-sections so that there's always a lot of different things going into the video works so we could explore lots of different ways of working or making or, or whatever. So we've always had a pretty, although it might not seem from the outside, in inside between the two of us, I think we've always had a kind of um, varied approach in kind of how we make work. So we'd make something with videos, we'd make something extremely complex with loads of building and then we'd make something with a toothbrush. Mm. You know, we'd like jump between one and the other. And I think the best thing about how we're working now is we jump between this and that and whatever. So we'll do a lot, we'll, we'll do a lot of painting for instance. Uh, and that's fun cause you get the smell and it's like, in some ways it's quite immediate compared to video. You get this kind of like, and then you just realize that painting is a real pain. <laughs> you have to clean brushes and stuff. So let's make a video. So you make a video and then you realize that making videos, you have to get changed repeatedly and takes don't work and then things go wrong. So you have to do that. So I think the, and again, that's the thing about sustaining a practice is to try and keep things a bit fresh. We always try to work on the edge of our understanding of something. We're not quite grasping the technicalities or the, you know, the, we've made a decision and it's wrong and stuff like that. But I think for us, it's like, oh, well, we're doing something right because if we were always right, then we'd kind of be doing something wrong because we'd just be doing stuff that we'd already knew how to do, you know. So then in the so, videos, you must take like 900 takes of like the same thing and like who gets to pick the final, you know, that's the one, that that number 74, that was the one, we'll use that one. Who who gets to choose that one? Well, John John does the post-production. So oh, he, so edits, <laughs> he edits, no. He's not, it's, it's, it's weird because he's not a nerd. I mean, he is a bit of a nerd. No, he's not. He's not a nerd, but he's he's sort of taught himself how to um, how to edit. So he edits really well, and he knows that kind of stuff. I mean, he's he sometimes talks to me about editing and about file sizes and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, God, this is really dull. But I equally bore him with like InDesign stuff. So you know, we, we within the practice, we have our own little bits that we get on with, which okay. again is another thing we don't have to do. We don't always have to do everything together which is great and uh, you know and it's so we we in some ways we have within the joint practice collaborative practice we can kind of work individually as well which is a really nice 
a really nice kind of thing. But the um, sorry, I've gone so far off the question. What was the, the, question? Yeah, the, the so the edit. So um, oh, yeah. for for instance, you know, the the leaf blower keeping the piece of paper on the wall. Yeah. yeah. There must have been a one take that was like the perfect tape. You know, the the, the perfect yeah. like it fell perfectly. So do you know? Do you I, say that's the one, or does he say no? I I think that's the one. Well, usually, usually what we've done is we've watched them back through on the on the monitor in the studio, right. you know, or, or actually live, we'll know that that's the one. We'll go, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, but then we used to, when we used to film on tape, we used to want to get two or three perfect takes because with tape you could always get a glitch or it could chew or something like that. And because we'd set everything up, we'd want to make sure we'd have an insurance. So for years, um, until we switched over onto you know, directly shooting onto disc, we would always get like two or three takes. And even now, actually shooting magicians, we were there, should we just get another one? Just, just in case. <laughs> so we, we're better at it. And I think that's because we've had more practice and, you know, we, we, we don't corpse as much. We don't laugh as much um, on screen, you know, like when we were trying to get something done. Whereas we used to just, we couldn't look each other in the eyes <laughs> in front of the camera because we'd just lose it. Um, so I think we've got better in realising that, you know, we will get things quicker. We're faster now at filming because we're just better at it, more experienced. But yeah, some sometimes you kind of get you get you do get caught out, and things take a lot longer to kind of get get right. But it's not. We, we just actually, I was just before I came in this, I was just looking at an edit John had done. We made a film called Board Nineteen Ninety Three, Board Twenty Twenty Three. So it's looking at first piece of work that we made together. And then talking about it kind of 30 years later and um, talking about those kind of things about like the perfect take, but the perfect take wouldn't necessarily be the one that was absolutely perfect. There might be something in it which was slightly wrong, but was just really beautiful or really nice. Mm. So we're after this kind of like a perfect take, but the, but the, the word perfect for us meant something, you know, kind of different. There was still a bit of human uh, fallibility in it or something like that. Mm. Do you think you'd physically be able to do something like um, three-legged again? Because that, um, that looked exhausting. Well, we we actually have, for this film as well. We we shot last I think it was last year, some point or early no, very early on this year. We filmed um, us trying to do elements of board again, uh, and so we in the film we sh- we run the board ninety three next to board twenty twenty three. And we <laughs> no. If you watch that, uh, it'll we'll put it on our website soon. If you watch it, you'll see. No, we can't do anything. <laughs> Three legged, we could probably do. We just get hit all the time. <laughs> you would, uh, you know, that would be. Um, but something like bored. No, we couldn't. We couldn't do it. I mean, we were never like physically really strong or supple. It was just that we were twenty three. Yeah. You know, so and you generally you're just better at physical things then you know um just but no we couldn't off you. <laughs> it just bounces off yeah i mean you're kind of like you're you're sort of semi-indestructible then in some ways so it's great but also it's kind of like you know you get to a point where you just become interested in different things it's why we don't really do the same kind of performative work that we used to do i mean we're still performing videos and we may yet do more of that kind of stuff later on when it feels as though there's something else to say but we made a lot of it and it's just like you know, you. That's the thing. Is like you grow up independently of the work. Yeah. You, you know, you become interested in different things more broadly, not just in the practice, but just in life. So it's natural that the change, that you know, those changes would happen in the practice, and you just like, 
and you know we, we're used to it we get the kind of like oh we love the early works you know the funny works you know but you just kind of like well yeah but we're just interested in many different things now and f- f- i was talking to a student the other day and just saying the kind of thing that links the practices us that we've made it and our approach so things can you know you can have a video work about magicians and then you can have this kind of like quite kind of relatively unforgiving hardcore neon work that's on the front of a building but it's they're both equally stupid in a way do you know what i mean they're both ridiculous and so we play with that but just across these mediums you know it's a as i said before it's just it's fantastic having the opportunity to do it it's just uh, it's just amazing you had an obsession with chairs and tennis balls, I think. Do you still have does chairs and tennis balls? Are they going to feature in your future? <laughs> uh, we, we're actually we're going to be doing a show in twenty twenty five that we're just working out what we're going to what we're going to do there. And um, we don't we're not sure how much space we've got, whether we've got half space or whole space or whatever. Um, we're happy to work with either, but um, we're just working out. And one of the ideas is that we we make a chair. Or we make some furniture. Um, it's and it's something that's been again. It's one of those ideas that's been kicking around for probably ten years, and we're just thinking that actually maybe um, the the person that the director of the space collects chairs. So we thought it might be quite a nice thing to do there. Yeah, we'll we'll mull, we'll mull it over. But yeah, no, the chair the chair thing. Obviously, I mean, it's kind of. I mean, it's quite a standard thing of a, a replacement for a human figure. You know, it represents a human figure in all sorts mm. of art and, and, and whatever. And it's um, it's also has that thing of like, we're all really familiar with how chairs operate and it sets off connotations of favourite chairs and school chairs and office chairs and all those kind of things. So it's a really nice thing to kind of play around with. Yeah, um, the tennis ball thing. That should always feature. There's always a space for a tennis ball. <laughs> there's always a space for it. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I yeah. No, we should, we should, we should get them back out. We, one of the things that we say in this film when we're talking about board is that like the difference between being 23 and 53 is when you're 53, I'm not, I'm older than 53, but was that you become aware that there isn't, there isn't, you haven't got 30 years necessarily ahead of you anymore, you know, and, and not in a tragic way. It's quite fun growing older. You know, it's Mm -hmm. quite good to have had that kind of experience and being able to look back on stuff. It's quite funny. It's amusing. But you're also aware that, like, <laughs> there will be a final piece of work that you make. Or, like, you're at, you can't make everything that you want to make. And I suppose it's, like, it depends on your nature or whatever. But I think some artists, like, quite like to slow down or, you know, drop down a pace or two. And we're just in the studio the other day and going, oh, we could do this. Oh, all that. You know, we haven't done that. You know. So it's, like, I guess we've still got that that excitement about making the about the work and the possibilities that are still there. Didn't you say that your um, 100th video was going to be called Mobility Scooter? I mean, yeah, honestly, that was, it's genuinely got I mean, to be hopefully done. not. <laughs> I d- yeah, we've got an idea of making 100 videos and I think we're I think we're somewhere in the 60s or 70s. So actually, we're quite slow at making the video works. Um, <laughs> so we really need to get a move You on. might have to bring the video but, back a bit then, yeah. make a few yeah, more quickly. Yeah. Yeah, really, really short ones. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But yeah, no, that's 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 the hope. We're not sure when that'll be. You, you've got to do the um, waiting for Godot one as well. Yeah, I mean, thanks, thanks for reminding me of all the stuff we haven't got around <laughs> to making. <laughs> Just keep it on it's, the list. Um, it's and, difficult. And I mean, the it's, chairs. that's yeah. not yeah, different director, yeah. Uh, writer. 
I mean, we we both we both teach like quite quite part time, but we both teach, and um, it's really interesting talking to students about and share and sharing directly that kind of experience of you know kind of what it's like and what happens and the things that go wrong and the things that we could have done better and you know and but the the kind of amount of um, stuff uh, that you do, even if you have a you know because throughout a career it's never like a direct like a you know it's always up and down and things happen and the quiet bits and and stuff but even during like a quiet time there's just so much stuff to deal with that is not the art yeah. it's like you administration know. you mean <laughs> admin sorting your yeah yeah admin uh creating shipping even if you're not doing the creating or the shipping yourselves it's just you know and i'm not having a moan because it's like it is part of the job. It's just like it's just you. You learn those things when you're out, mm, and there's yeah. like a huge, you know, there's a huge amount of it. And I think sometimes it's like, um, you know, if you work in an art school and you get any any kind of time out for research and stuff like that, then it's like it looks it it's 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 quite hard because it looks as though you're just going to Nice and Italy <laughs> and Brussels for two weeks, um, which you know is what I just did. But you know, within that you're also answering emails and calls and I haven't done a very good job of making it sound hideous. Have I? I've made it just sound really nice. Uh, <laughs> and it is, it's brilliant. But yeah, the amount of stuff. Um, There's so much to do in so little time. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like there, there will be things that we won't ever get to make. I think. It's so nice. It's the two of you though, to share all that admin stuff. Garbage. Yeah, like. John does all. John does all the accounts. Which is great. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what oh, yeah. gets more money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's actually. I hadn't really thought about that. Maybe he is. Yeah. yeah. No, he's got a new car and everything. It's great. Um, <laughs> Thinking about it. Yeah, no, I mean, another mobility yeah. scooter. It's not fair, is he's, it? <laughs> no, I mean, he's yeah. He's gonna have the Rolls Royce and mobility scooters when we get into our eighties or nineties. Hopefully, oh. fingers crossed. I don't understand. Um, my mother wouldn't use a mobility scooter and I'm just like god if I got the option I'd have one immediately they're genius I'd love one I suppose, <laughs> I suppose it's weird isn't it I suppose it's like with my my dad he's he yeah he had a fall <laughs> as he's as, as they do uh they do he broke his hip and that's a replacement and he's like sticks and stuff like that and I, I think it's and he still he still drives although he probably shouldn't probably sorry shouldn't <laughs> um but it's that kind of, I can really imagine that kind of loss of the idea of being able to get around or mobility or stuff like that. Yeah. And, I, and I guess, yeah, you're right. A mobility scooter would give you that back. Yeah. But I, I guess it's kind of like, yeah, I think me and John would soup ours up a bit, <laughs> customise them. Best uh, in, a really bad, in a really bad way with lots of MDF. I think that's what we do. <laughs> and some uh, acrylic painted shirts hanging off the back or something that'd yeah, be really cool yeah. flapping around <laughs> yeah very muted very muted yeah i think i think you said once um you said something about unwatchable video art which i don't know you don't need to comment on that necessarily but is um is it essential to be amusing to you oh what um, you mean for for us or work that we for work that you do for your work is it essential to be quite amusing because especially your mm. performance is it not supposed think, to be funny? Sorry. No, no, it is. No, it is. It's fine. No, no, <laughs> no, totally. Uh, it's it's really it's again. I mean, it's partly depends on context. We showed a lot of those earlier video works, like Three Legged, for instance. We showed in Germany once. This was like not long after we'd made it, 
And the the reaction was like completely the opposite to other reactions we had, where it was quite kind of people were quite kind of like, oh, this is deeply political. This is kind of like uncomfortable viewing. It was you know, um, and that is the interesting thing about having a showing work in multiple places, you know, in different countries and different cultures and and stuff. And the the, the response can be radically different. Now it's not. We've made a lot of video work that is incredibly unwatchable. You know, I mean, I think we made that comment. It, it was more a comment I think we made when we first started out. It was like what we wanted to do. And because of the time that we started working together, you know, the kind of like we'd seen a lot of video art that was like made in the 1980s and um, it was full of effects and it was all kind of like, you know, and it wasn't and it wasn't a. It wasn't super appealing for us, but yeah. we were also the first generation that, that grew up with like MTV and lots of TV commercials and stuff like that. So we were we were picking up like our influences, like subtle influences, maybe like in terms of timing, it was like 20 or 30 seconds or three minutes. You know, you could do it in that. You could do that. You could say what you wanted to say in that time. You didn't necessarily have to take three hours to do it. And then there's always that, that there's that kind of expectation on an audience. You know, if you've got like an audience, you know, if you go to a big Biennale and you've got 27 three hour subtitle documentaries, you know, <laughs> no one can, no one can take that in, you know? So I think we always kind of thought about the work in relation to like what we would enjoy watching or want to watch, but also what maybe other people would. And also how our work could sit differently to some of this other work that had come before. I could watch yours quite easily, but I often, I'll, I'll often just walk out of the, unless I need to, unless I need a little sit down break, I won't, I won't go in the theatre section of a, of an exhibition. I'm really, <laughs> sorry, but I no. really enjoyed your pieces. Cool. Sorry, uh, yeah. I'm just going to quickly interject. We're going to probably have to wrap this up soon because there's a chance that we'll get locked in a basement in five minutes. Uh, just to give context, <laughs> it's, it's five, it's five twenty-five p.m. Oh, and they lock up Lord, I've also got to feed my cat. Um, I don't care about you being locked in a basement, Matt, but your cat definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah, 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 my cat needs to be. Okay, well, uh, well, thanks for the invitation again. Uh, yes. Sorry, John couldn't be with us. Um, and thanks for the the chat and the oh, questions. Thanks so much. Really, really, really lovely to meet you. Yeah, really cool. Good luck with your you video. Too. Yeah. Thanks very much. See you later. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Artcast. For this episode, we were joined by Paul Harrison from Wood and Harrison. We were also joined by Nia Fossett and Christine Taylor from our HNC in Fine Art. You can check out Wood and Harrison's work on their website, Harrison and Wood. We hope you join us next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>